Good evening and welcome to This Week in Football from the makers of Low Limit Football. I am your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Roberto Rojas, as we preview Group C of the 2022 World Cup. Uh, In this group, uh, Roberto, we've got Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, and Poland. Uh, Certainly an interesting group, to say the least. All eyes are going to be on Argentina, Lionel Messi, their their, uh, unbeaten streak as well. We also have, though, Mexico, yeah, which is a country that uh, is, is traditionally in the round of 16. We've got Poland, which is very, very strong uh, with the likes of Robert Lewandowski. This this really becomes a tricky, tricky group for me. Um, you know, we have Saudi Arabia here as well, uh, which are going to be very, very close proximity to hosting the World Cup uh, in Qatar. So there will be somewhat of a, a home factor for the Saudi Arabian side. What are your thoughts on this uh, Group C as it breaks down? Yeah, I think in this group in particular, I think there is one overwhelming favorite. And I think we can finally say that, you know, it's one of the first groups that we can see that we do have that in Argentina. I think not just to win this group as a favorite, but also to go and win the entire thing. I think when you look at the the team that they have, there's no doubt that they're up there to compete and win the World Cup. For the other three teams, however, yeah, I think it is still a, a, a tug of war, really, for that second place. You know, you have the likes of Mexico, who have always been at the World Cups traditionally, you know, throughout every single crisis and whatnot, they've always been able to show up and go there. And so I think that in itself makes them kind of a, a wild card team. You look at the likes of Poland, who obviously, with the likes of Robert Lewandowski scoring goals galore all around Europe and and even with the talented side. And then you look at Saudi Arabia, you know, certainly not a team that should be definitely a, a pushover, not only because they've also been at World Cups, but because they're in a region that they've been accustomed to for various decades, that the fact that they'll be able to play in a World Cup literally on home soil, well, not home soil, I should say, but also in a home region like the Middle East. So, yeah, it really is a tricky one to call when you look at the other teams that are fighting for that spot but ultimately i still think that there's still a a one side that i think they could indeed dominate uh the opposition um over the rest but it won't be easy that's for sure no no doubt about it so let's jump right into it uh and our first guest up to to preview one of the big favorites of this 2022 world cup is uh santi bauza south american journalist uh you'll find him at copa 90 cnn world sport hand of pod many many other places uh, he joined us to break down Argentina, Lionel Messi, and their chances of winning, winning the World Cup. So without further ado, the Santi Bauza interview. Joining us now on This Week in Football to break down Argentina in Group C of the 2022 World Cup, Santi Bauza from Hand of Pod podcast and La Nación Deportes. Santi, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you. I want to start out with uh, your connection, obviously, journalist in Argentina. I'd like to know um, your your depth in terms of covering the Argentinian national team moving forward for the World Cup. Uh, first of all, hi, Joe. Thank you very much for, for having me in this uh, podcast again. Um Unfortunately, I will stay in Argentina for 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 the coverage of this World Cup, but uh, but that that doesn't mean that I that I won't do a lot of a lot of stuff. Maybe um you know I'll be I'll be in charge of following uh, the play by play I think of games uh, for for La Nacion and the uh, an Argentine newspaper, uh, and uh, of course we will, we will also be keeping touch of uh, everything that's going on at the World Cup for Argentina, such an important World Cup for Argentina. Uh, in uh, the Hand of Pod podcast as well. And, you know, certainly important is the thing because this is a team that obviously, you know, is one of the greatest national teams of all time. 
World Cup champions in 78, winning it on home soil, winning it in 86 in Mexico, the last one with an inspired Diego Maradona, made it to World Cup finals in 1990 and in 2014 in recent years. And this is a side that, in comparison to four years ago when we talked about them, has went through a lot. I mean, the last time that we spoke about them at a World Cup was in Russia, where they had to win it at the right at the edge uh, against Nigeria, only to then flame out in a really dramatic, thrilling game against France at the round of 16. Then, obviously, this Argentina side left, Horace um, uh, Sampaoli left the side. In comes an inexperienced manager, but also a former national team player, in Lionel Scaloni, and this was a side that also went into the Copa America in Brazil, finished in third, and then it came into an impressive run that still stands of 33 games unbeaten, including winning the Copa America last year in Brazil, the first title since 1993, the first title for Lionel Messi, and honestly, the first title for this generation. So, you know, looking at this squad as a whole, and obviously seeing this team that has been really flawless in qualification alongside Brazil, how do you really just assess everything over the last four years from that kind of burnout elimination against France to now 70 days away from, from the start of the World Cup in Qatar? Well, it's a great question. Um, I think uh, you can basically make a comparison of night and day between the World Cup cycles of 2018 and 2022, you cannot find a more uh, chaotic and senseless uh, World Cup cycle than 2018. Uh, Argentina going through three different managers, only sealing qualification in the final round, uh, when at the start of that round they were out of the, of the playoffs even. Uh, and whether well, that ended up being uh, the car crush, the absolute car crush that was uh, Russia 2018. And um, I must admit that um, there were not a lot of hopes in Lionel Scaloni when he arrived. Um, of course, the the questioning about his uh, his experience in first team management, which was basically non-existent, and whether such a man would be uh, the right choice to take charge of a national team like Argentina, even when back then someone like Ricardo Gareca was actually out of contract and was waiting for a call which he never got. But um, I have to I have to give props to Scaloni in the sense that he is uh, such a great guy to understand the players he's, he has at his disposal and how. Um, he can make them buy into what he's in, buy what he's selling, basically buy into what he he believes and what and the way he wants to play, and um, also to try and convince some players who probably could have retired. I think some of them, of course, did after Russia. Maybe there were a couple that may were maybe on the balance, and uh, they weren't exactly you know very popular with Argentina supporters. Like uh, I mean, the the number one case that I can think of is, of course, Angel Di Maria, who, was, um, who had a very frustrating international career until until 2021, and he was convinced by Scaloni to continue to carry on, and he eventually not won over fans in emphatic fashion with a goal in the final against Brazil, and uh, he's also instilled such a, 
such good vibes, you know, in the in the national team, such a uh, an atmosphere of positivity and um, of optimism, feeling that uh, whoever Argentina come against, uh, they feel confident enough uh, in the fact that they they could win the game. Uh, something that uh, was certainly not present in the previous World Cup cycle, and um, and also the fact that he basically built this squad by himself from scratch, making some necessary changes which were long overdue. Uh, we had to, of course, uh, make that assumption. And uh, I think actually, he actually, you could say that he changed some careers as well. I mean, the likes of uh, Rodrigo de Paul really came into his own after he became a regular at the national team. Um, you could say the same about uh, Leandro Paredes and, well, all of that midfield, Lo Celso as well, uh, Cuti Romero. Emiliano Martinez was on, a, on, on an upward trajectory until he landed in Argentina, but his profile raised big time after the Copa America. So this, these are all kind of players who maybe weren't on the radar of most Argentina fans, but Scaloni really, really believed in them and he gave them enough trust to be the backbone of this team. And uh, they paid uh, they paid him off in a big way. And uh, I think with that in mind, this is probably one of the World Cups in which the Argentines in general feel the most confident in ages. Well, that brings up a great point because now we get to look at the group itself is where Argentina is going to start. Um, having been drawn out of pot one, according to the March FIFA rankings, they're number four in the world. They're facing off against the 49th team in Saudi Arabia, the ninth team in Mexico. It's quite high for them. And up 26. Yeah. And according to the March rankings, they were ninth. And uh, and Poland, uh, 26th, which, I, I, yeah, is kind of a flip-flop for me from what, from my information. These are all four teams that are returning from the 2018 World Cup. And uh, two of the teams in terms of Mexico and Poland, Argentina has previously beaten at the World Cup. So, um, and, and, they've, and, and Argentina's had success against Saudi Arabia as well. So for you, Santi, how does this group, uh, you know, work out for you, especially with Argentina opening the World Cup um group starting on um on the uh i'm sorry here the 22nd against saudi arabia yeah i think we have to take into account the fact that i mean let's be completely honest since we've got that uh fabled group of death in 2006 which by the way argentina absolutely bossed <laughs> um since 2010 onwards we've had some really 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 easy groups in the world cup i mean you go back to South Africa, we had only, you know, Greece, South Korea, Nigeria, then Nigeria again, Bosnia, who were uh, making their first ever appearance at the World Cup, and um, Iran. And then in 2018, at least on paper, we had Croatia, Iceland, who were also a debutant, and Nigeria. Uh, and the only, uh, the only times in which Argentina have struggled in some of these groups in the game against Nigeria in 2014... And during the whole of 20, 2018, basically, is because Argentina made it difficult for themselves, I think. But on paper, it feels like Argentina should have no issue at all to, to go through any of those groups. And uh, I think this is most emphatic in, 20, in 2022, because even if you, as you said, which genuinely shocked me, Mexico is uh, number, were number nine in March in the FIFA World Rankings. 
they're not coming into this World Cup in great terms, are they? No, they're not. They're, they're... Tata Martino is being heavily questioned. Heavily questioned. Uh, most of the generation of like 2006 and 2010 have retired, and um, out of the players that might uh, might be you know stars for Mexico, one is confirmed that won't be at the World Cup, like Tecatito Corona. Uh, then you've got uh, Raúl Jiménez, who were, was a machine until he uh, unfortunately suffered a fractured skull and fractured skull, and uh, he hasn't really been the same since. And Chucky Lozano is going through a really, really rough, rough patch in last in last few years with injuries and uh, not being very consistent at club level. So, I mean, and th- and this is considering the fact that Mexico could probably be the the team that makes it the most difficult for us at this World Cup. Then there's Poland, which uh, I mean, they do have a, a better squad, I think, on paper, but it's really unbalanced. Lewandowski, of course, is the main threat, but. Uh, he was in, he was the main threat in 2018 as well. He came off uh, some incredible seasons for Bayern, just like he's coming right now, and he didn't really have a great showing. And there's also a lot of unrest on on the managerial side. I think they changed manager twice in 2022, if I'm not mistaken. And then the Saudi Arabia, which I mean, let's be honest. Um, if Argentina don't win against Saudi Arabia, you have to ask some serious, serious questions about uh, about the team. So um, I don't want to sound uh, very self, very cocky or very, you know, uh, arrogant in any way. But we have to be honest with ourselves. And I think that uh, there should be no issue whatsoever for a team that has won the last, well, that has uh, avoided defeat in the last 33 games, was beaten the, the the European champions so comfortably for them to win this group. And, and looking at some of these players, and, you know, I think obviously the eyes of the world is going to be on Lionel Messi. And, you know, we'll talk about him in a second. Of but <laughs> looking at this, really, the squad, and you kind of mentioned it, um, Santi, you know, the likes of Emiliano Martinez uh, in goal. You look at some really useful players that we're starting to see, like uh, Christian Romero, uh, Lisandro Martinez, and, and many others. The midfield, you mentioned Rodrigo De Paul and the likes of Adi Maria, Leandro Paredes, um, and looking at other players that could come up as well, like a, like a Nicolas Gonzalez, Enzo, Fernand- Enzo Fernandez, and many others. And then the attack with the likes of Lino Messi there. You still have Lautaro Martinez. You still have uh, Julian Alvarez as well, the new boy from the block as well. So this is a side that is really stacked, and I think it's going to be difficult for Scaloni to have a an embarrassment of riches. But you know, going into that, how do you assess the squad really and how do you view them being able to really tackle against these sides at the World Cup? And, of course, Lionel Messi. I mean, many people say that this could be his last World Cup. Many people want him to, obviously, end his so-called international career on a high. So what is really the assessment from an Argentina perspective on Lionel Messi into this World Cup? I think it's um, it's not... Uh crazy to think that this might be the last World Cup. He will be 39 in in 2026 when it uh, comes to North America. Um, and by then, I think he he surely must have, he surely will be retired by then. I think he's, he's the kind of player who wants to keep playing in the, in the at an elite level as, for as long as he can. And once, I think once he stops being an elite player, he 
will bow out. I don't think he will, you know, extend his career for a really, really long period of time or any or anything like that. Uh, but uh, I feel like he has such a such a complete uh, squad uh, around him. But not only in the sense that these are all really talented players. Actually, uh, if you go back a few years ago, uh, a few years, if you go back a few years, they really weren't uh, very high profile, or they weren't playing for the biggest teams. That's only happening in the last couple of years, and then in many cases, as a result of that triumph in Brazil last year. Uh, but these are players who are really, really hungry. Who are, I think, they probably learned from the mistakes of previous generations in the sense that they are not looking for Messi uh, in every chance they get, but they also, you know, have a better understanding of what the needs are for the, for the national team and um, whether they should also be the ones to take up the mantle and uh, decide for themselves uh, when the, when the going gets tough or when the time comes. Uh, and these are players who, in doing so, they understand a lot better what suits Messi best. Uh, but also the fact that these are all players that, uh, even on non-footballing terms, they have developed such a winning mentality and an attitude of uh, standing up against anyone, which uh, is also really, really, really valuable, uh, considering the fact that um, the previous squad, the previous squads, carried a lot of mental baggage, which this new this new batch of players does not carry at all and it shows on the pitch so i think uh it's a great squad i think that maybe when you consider on a on an individual level you might find that i mean the 2014 squad or even 2010 are you know name by name better but uh, it feels like this is a really, really uh, cohesive group of players who understand each other and who have shared so much with each other, in, especially playing a Copa America in a bubble, which I think has, um, I mean, it's, as much as it's been difficult in some senses, it also uh, drew them together a lot of the time. And I think, it sh as I said before, really shows when they step, step on the pitch and uh, they, they understand each other so well. Now, Santi, I want to jump into the final part of the interview and, and look at predictions. Um, I'd like to get your opinion as to how you feel Group C will go down, uh, who will win it. Uh, I'd like your opinion on how far you think Argentina will go. And uh, ultimately, if Argentina do win the World Cup in 2022, what will that mean for the people of Argentina? But more so, seeing what the Copa America meant to Lionel Messi for winning that, what would the World Cup mean to him as well? Well, I... I think I've told you this before in, in some previous episode, but I, I hate doing predictions. Mm -hmm. uh, no, but anyway, okay, I, so I will try, though. Let's, let, I, you I know. will try, though. I oh, will okay. try, though. All right, all right. Uh, well, I think in, in terms of the group, I I think I stated my case for Argentina to win it. Um, they, they really shouldn't be uh, finishing anywhere but first. Uh, either by winning all three games or maybe drawing one of them if uh, Lewandowski is uh, is inspired for Poland. But I still think it should be enough for Argentina to win it uh, if nothing weird happens, I think. 
I feel like uh, given all the turmoil and uh, just the fact that they have a pretty uh, poor squad in comparison to like the last few World Cups, I feel like Mexico will uh, miss out on the, in the first round and Poland will go second. They will finish third, though, because I don't see Saudi Arabia winning any game in that group. Uh, I'm sorry. I, that's just how I see it. They don't have a squad that's uh, adequate enough to compete with any of these teams. So it's going to be Argentina first, Mexi- um, Poland second, Mexico third, and Saudi Arabia dead last. And in terms of uh, where Argentina might end up, that's going to be a lot difficult to to assess because, uh, of course, as as we know, the 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 opponents from uh, from the round of sixteen onwards will come from Group C, of course, or Group D, sorry, of course, which contains uh, France and Denmark as the you know main candidates to to get those first two spots. And either team would be like a real real test for Argentina. But I, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, say where, where they will end up. But I think they should have enough to go pretty, pretty, pretty far in this World Cup. Who knows? And uh, and to answer the other question you you asked uh, about how important this would be, not just for us but for Messi. I think um, the Copa America was uh, kind of a relief for him in the sense that. Um, it finally came, the, the time finally came in which Messi stopped owing anyone anything. Not that he did owe anyone to any, anyone, anything to anyone in the first, in the first, uh, in the first place. But uh, he could retire right now saying that at least he won an international trophy with Argentina and a trophy that mattered so much because, as you said before, uh, this is the first international trophy in this for this generation for millennia, millennials and, and uh, Gen Zers in Argentina, so to go out there and win the World Cup, which has, uh, he has always said that this is a stream that he would uh, you know swap any Ballon d'Ors and any titles that he won with Barcelona to uh, in exchange for for a World Cup with Argentina. That um, I mean, this is such an obsession for for everyone, for every single person in this country. You, you wouldn't imagine what it would mean for Messi and uh, for him to, and I think this this would happen if he would he were to bow out of the international game with a World Cup under his shoulder, and uh, for this thing to do it in what in what will also be the last World Cup with 32 teams in it, which I think would also add a little bit of uh, value to whoever wins this this edition. Uh, I mean, it would be massive. Uh, there would be, I mean, I couldn't even, I wouldn't even imagine what would happen on the streets of Argentina if, if that happened. Uh, never mind on the pitch when, well, if it happens. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, you can tell that it's really, really special and uh, it's uh, something that Argentinians are really obsessed with. And And one more question. What would it mean to you personally? Oof. <laughs> Well, you can imagine that uh, if if all of the countries uh, so obsessed with winning the World Cup, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I'm exactly obsessed, but uh, I mean 
to be honest, I I was I wasn't exactly sad when when we lost the final, for example, in 2014. I, I grew more frustrated in the in the Copa America finals that came after. But it did feel like uh, last last year's final was uh, like uh, a weight off my shoulders and a weight off everyone's shoulders uh, for so many years of uh, of hurt, like the English say. But uh, this hasn't uh, undervalued the World Cup in in any any in any way at all. But uh, but yeah, I mean, when you when I've spoken to people who are older than me and uh, I I've uh, talked about how I've told them about how I felt uh, when we won this Copa America and they almost uh, were a little bit dismissive at first because they saw Argentina win the whole thing in an emphatic fashion in 86, for example. But then they understand that for my generation, this title last year was 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 really, really special because of uh, what came before, because of all that, all those 28 years of uh, total drought. So if we make it one better and uh, go out there and win the whole thing, this would be a generational, a generational thing. It would be like uh, incredible for everyone involved, especially in a country that's uh, going through so much all the time, like Argentina, it would be like a huge cause for celebration from everyone in the country. Santi, I want to thank you for joining us and helping us break down Argentina and Group C heading into the 2022 World Cup. All the best to you and to Argentina, and we look forward to having you back again soon, my friend. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, it's uh, it's always a pleasure to be to speaking here. Thank you for the invitation. And special thanks again to Santi Bauza for joining us on the show. Next up, we have Wael Jabir. Middle Eastern football journalist who previously previewed Qatar with us is now back to preview Saudi Arabia as they head to face Argentina in their opening match for the World Cup. So without further ado, the Wild Jabir interview. And joining us now on This Week in Football to preview Saudi Arabia as they head to Group C of the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. Wail Jabir joining us again, Asian football journalist. Wail, welcome back to the show. Uh, we talked about your coverage of Qatari football when we previewed uh, Qatar and Group A. Let's talk about your uh, your your history of covering Saudi Arabian football now as they head to Group C. Uh, thank you for having me on the show again. And I guess this time it's a bit more personal. I was actually born and raised in Saudi Arabia, so I've followed Saudi football since my childhood. Uh, probably one of my earliest memories is Saudi Arabia's presence in uh, USA 94 and going to the round of 16 on their debut. So, yeah, this one is a lot closer to home for me. And certainly, I think for them, obviously, it's it's definitely going to be a homecoming for them, given the fact that they are neighbors over there with Qatar as they head to the World Cup. And I just wanted to go into really this kind of whole um, journey that they've been to, because obviously they went to the one in 2018 you know, they were in a really difficult group with the likes of Uruguay, um, the host Russia and Egypt, and they were able to not get out of the group. But fast forward four years, they later go and get uh, a really renowned manager from from that region and, and really just, you know, someone with, with experience in Herve Renard. So I just want your thoughts and really how have you seen this kind of process over the last four years? You know, they ended up winning their group in qualification defeating the likes of Japan and in Australia and going ahead of them. 
What's different, do you feel, for this Saudi Arabian side now heading into this particular World Cup, which will be held in, in the Middle East? Uh, you're absolutely right. I think this is as close as it gets to a home World Cup for Saudi Arabia without it being at home. Obviously, Saudi Arabia is the only country with land borders to Qatar. So they're, they have the advantage of being the only fan base that can actually drive into, into the host country. And I think they'll take full advantage of that. I reckon we'll see more Saudi fans than, than any other nation in, in Qatar. So that'll be a huge boost for them. Uh, on the other side of things, obviously, the group is a lot more difficult than the one they had in 2018. Yes, they had the host Russia in 2018. Yes, they had Uruguay. But I think when you're facing an Argentina team who are, by many people's thinking, are the favorites to win the World Cup, obviously a team with Leo Messi will always be favorites. A Poland team with Robert Lewandowski, uh, arguably arguably the world's best forward at the moment. Uh, Mexico, who are almost like ever-present in their out of 16, so they know how to play a World Cup group stage. Uh, it is very difficult for Saudi, and I reckon, honestly, it's, it is more difficult than 2018. Yes, they have more experience in the team now. They have many players, almost almost half of their starting 11 have played in 2018, uh, but still, it's not going to be easy. Now, let's taking a look deeper into Group C, because like you said, uh, this is a very difficult group with Argentina there and Lionel Messi, Poland with uh, Robert Lewandowski, and then, like you said, the Mexican side, that's always... In the round of 16, this Mexican side, however, is a side that many would consider much weaker than in years past. Um, under Tata Martino, they've had a lot of difficulties getting through uh, qualifying. You know, there were some, even some questions if they would qualify at one point um, during this run. Uh, so this, I know this is a great, very difficult group for Saudi Arabia. It's actually one of the lowest ranked teams in uh, heading to the World Cup. But are there are there things that you would look for in this group that uh, you know would you you'd consider a success for Saudi Arabia as they come through the World Cup? Yeah, I think uh, one positive Saudi Arabia can think of is that they're gonna play Argentina first, so they'll get that out of the way, uh, whether that's a positive or a negative. If we go back to all the way to 2002, obviously a different time, but they did start their their group with facing Germany, and that ended up with that famous 8-0 thrashing. Uh, things didn't go well in 2002, but now this is a different side, even compared to 2018. Yes, as I mentioned, half of the starting 11 is probably the same, but uh, not many teams can actually say they've changed. They've changed their manager. They've changed uh, a lot of players. Actually, a lot of players from 2018 have retired. So there is, in my opinion, there is a nice mix of experience and youth within this team. And in Harvard and Art, they have a coach who's won the African Cup of Nations twice with two, two different countries, the only man to do so. And, and in one of the two cases, it was actually with an unfancied side in Zambia. So he knows how to, how to punch above his weight with, with teams. And I think that would be a strength for them. In the qualifiers as well, uh, you could argue argue that they were not favored to top the group, but they qualified ahead of Japan and Australia and comfortably as well. They qualified, I think, with a couple of games to, to go. So a lot of a lot of positives, a lot of talent as well within that team. And and I reckon, yeah, if they avoid a heavy defeat against Argentina, they can take momentum from there and, and hope to get a couple of results in the second and third games. So obviously now looking at some of the players that Saudi Arabia have at their disposal, obviously... You know, you could look at some of the names that they have in Salah Al Shereri, who was the uh, the top goal scorer for Saudi Arabia in the Afri- in the um, in the qualifications. You have the likes of 
slim out the Zawi as well, the, the, the really experienced midfielder, and, and a lot of others. So I just want your thoughts, while on like, you know, if Saudi Arabia is definitely going to have a successful World Cup, you know, who will be the players that will definitely need to stand out for them to, to do that? Yeah, those are actually very interesting names that uh, you threw in there because actually both of them, Saleh Al-Shahri, uh, the young forward, and Salim Al-Dosari, who's obviously the star player for Saudi Arabia, both of them are nurturing injuries. Uh, Salim Al-Dosari is, uh, is actually injured at the moment. He's not playing for his cup side, and he's in a race against time to be fit for, for the World Cup, whereas Saleh Al-Shahri has just recovered from a long-term injury and he's just returned to to Al-Hilal, both of them, of course, Al-Hilal players. Uh, so a lot of challenges with that at the moment. Uh, however, even in, in Saleh Hashahri's absence, uh, they do have Firas Al-Braikan, another uh, young forward who's more than capable of uh, stepping in. He stepped in whenever Saleh Hashahri was not there and he scored a couple of goals in the qualifiers. So I think in in that regard, they do have an alternative. But uh, with Salim Al-Dosiri, he's... He's the guy who scored their winning goal against Egypt in 2018. And that was obviously their their first win since uh, US 94. The first win in a World Cup since US 94. And he remains to be the star player. He's, he's led his club side, Al-Hilal, to win the AFC Champions League twice. Uh, yeah, 2019 and 2021. So he's one of the biggest names in Asian football. And at the age of 31, he'll be looking to what will most likely be his last World Cup and uh, at least his last at the peak of his uh, of his level and and i think those those will be key players uh key players elsewhere uh you're probably looking at uh, yasser shahrani who's been ever present at left back uh, for the past maybe five six years for saudi arabia again another al-hilal player and you can see a pattern there that uh with al-hilal who are the record uh, asian champions at club level four-time fc champions league winners uh, arguably one of the, if not the best team in, in the history of Asian club football. Uh, they are, they they form the core of that team. So I think a lot will rely on Al-Hilal players' chemistry, uh, their ability to step up and be on top form going into the World Cup. Now, I, I want to get into prediction time here for the Saudi Arabian national team as they head to the head to Group C. Looking at the diff- the group, it is a very difficult group. Also, Roberto and I did some quick little um, digging and research, and Saudi Arabia is only one of two teams that are totally uh, domestically based, the other being Qatar uh, in this instance. So my, my question to you is, what would be, um, what is your prediction for Saudi Arabia? And, you know, if they meet your or exceed your expectations as to what you think they'll do in this World Cup, what would that mean for Saudi Arabia in terms of uh, taking the next steps into becoming a, a bit more of a football power in the world? Yeah, that's that's actually a very good question. And uh, and with Saudi Arabia, obviously, yes, they are uh, they are a fully domestically based team, uh, but that doesn't actually take away from from the level of uh, competition they play in. If you look at the Saudi league, it's a league that over the past few years have has attracted a lot of uh, a lot of talent from from across the world, and albeit some of them are towards the tail end of their careers, but still, uh, I think Saudi player, players have been able to compete against uh, high quality players uh, week in week out, and that will help them again competing in the Champions League as well. Uh, Al Hilal have dominated; they've they've reached the final 
uh, what the Brita final five times in the past eight years. So that's an incredible uh, achievement on club level. So I don't think that part will will take away from much from Saudi. Uh, however, if we're talking predictions, I think uh, the one area where I'm a bit concerned for them is that they're not exactly a defensively oriented team and neither is Harvard and Art. So whereas that could work on an Asian level and obviously has worked in the qualifiers. Uh, my personal opinion, I've mentioned this when talking about uh, chances of other teams, and I think that's something we we have spoken about. I, I'm thinking teams like Qatar, like Iran, uh, those teams are very solid defensively, and that's what you need going into a World Cup where you're going to compete against teams that are way above your level, way above your ranking. And I fear that Saudi Arabia lack this uh, defensive-mindedness. And against yeah, against Argentina, I think they, they will need to be 200% defensively disciplined to avoid the thrashing. So that's my concern there. Well, thank you again for joining us on the show and helping break down Saudi Arabia as they head to Group C of the 2022 World Cup. Uh, best of luck to the national team as they head to the tournament and all the best to you, my friend. And we look forward to speaking again soon. Thank you very much, guys. And good being with you again. And special thanks again to Wael Jabir for joining us on the show. Next up, we were joined by Lizzie Beccarano, journalist for 90 Men Football, as she helped preview El Tri, Mexico, as they head to the 2022 World Cup. So without further ado, the Lizzie Beccarano interview. And joining us now on This Week in Football from 90 Min, Lizzie Beccarano. Lizzie, welcome to the show. It's always great to have you on um, and helping us to preview Mexico in Group C of the 2022 World Cup. I want to open with a quick question about your link and coverage to Mexican soccer and the Mexican national team. Well, thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Um, I've been covering North American football for 90 Min for over two years and in general, always been a fan and watching. Um, but now I cover Liga Nikes, um and the Mexican national team. So been a while, but yeah, just covering along. And, and certainly for a lot of us here based in the States, we obviously have been so accustomed to seeing Mexico uh, on the world stage, obviously looking into their history. This is a team that has been to numerous World Cups. It's going to be there their eighth consecutive one dating back to 94 and all those times that they've been to the world cup they've only been to the round of 16 now obviously the big talking point that all of us here uh every time we talk about mexico when they go into the world cup is if they can go to the quinto partido the famous fifth game otherwise known as the quarterfinals game the games that they haven't played ever since they hosted the world cup in 1970 and 1986 uh, those were the last time that they appeared there. So obviously, this is a side managed by Tata Martino, uh, Lizzie, who, you know, I think has been, for <laughs> lack of a better word, has been going through a lot of things, uh, a lot of stress and obviously a lot of criticism from the Mexican public and the Mexican media to go into this World Cup. It was very much so a a tumultuous World Cup qualifying process that we can say, you know, obviously there were some games where they have lost, they weren't really convincing, but they did make it. So Finishing in second place, 28 points tied, actually, with Canada in first with only a significant goal difference uh, um, separating them. I just want your thoughts on how you have viewed, really, this Mexico side from four years ago, ever since they made the change from Juan Carlos Osorio to Tata Martino, and just, you know, kind of the overall vibe for this Mexican side heading into the World Cup in November. 
Well, I think it's been a complicated situation. I think you have a very much before and after. And prior to 2020, I think we were all in this honeymoon phase with Data Martino. It was going well. You had a united group. And when the qualifiers truly started to ramp up, there was a bit of crumbling on the edge of the team, the players, and management. Now, it's an interesting conversation around the qualifiers because we did end up qualifying in second, tied with Canada, and obviously the conversation and point was we always finish above the United States. However, this was, I believe, the worst qualifying cycle from Mexico. We won very, very splitting chances on some games, lost against Canada, lost against um, the United States, tied at the Estadio Azteca, which appeared to be a complete failure. And is interestingly enough, um, Tata Martino actually quit or tried to resign two times now. Um, one was after the Canada loss, and then the second was when, just a couple weeks ago, when the entire federation really saw turnover with management. However, they denied him the resignation, I guess, um, and he's still on. So it's been an interesting time. Now, we did qualify, and that's all great. I think it would have been a complete embarrassment, truly, had we not. But we're definitely not seeing the strongest side of Mexico or having, like, having seen it live up to its full potential. I truly think it could be done better. But you always see the team bringing everything to life during the tournament. So I think that's where we're going to go. However, the quinto partido, I, I try to be realistic. I don't think it's going to happen for us this year. But one can hope. Well, you know, Lizzie, I'd like to jump in because I'd like to look at the group right now. Obviously, we're talking about Group C in this World Cup, um, a Group C that's led by uh, a, a very strong Argentina side that, uh, I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I think they're 33, uh, with 33 matches in a row without a loss. They're on an incredible run. Lionel Messi is rejuvenated with uh, with his Copa America win last year, and they come into. But Mexico comes into a group here. Um, sometimes you get groups where teams are not familiar with each other. This is not the case for Mexico. Mexico has faced uh, Poland eight times over the years. They faced Saudi Arabia, I believe, um, uh, five times, and they have faced this Argentina side uh, most recently in 2010. Um, so. For me, I think the familiarity adds a little something to Mexico's ability to manage the group. And again, we're talking about a man, um, we're talking about a Mexico that is, I would say by by most accounts, not the strongest Mexican side they've ever sent to the World Cup. But you know, death taxes and they make it to the round of sixteen seems like an always a guarantee. So, what are your thoughts on Mexico in this particular group, especially with uh, opponents that they have some familiarity against? So truly, I think it comes down to our first game against Poland. I think if we get out of the gate strong, we earn a win there. I think there are high possibilities of getting out in second place and reaching France, which is a whole different conversation. Um, But yeah, it comes down to that first game. I think as Mexico or Mexicans would see it, it's a win against Poland, a win against Saudi Arabia and a tie against Argentina would get us where we need to be. But Mexico is a very emotional team. If we lose against Poland that first game, I truly see it going downhill. We can win against Saudi Arabia. 
we can lose against Argentina. So it really, really comes down to that first one. But we have seen Mexico be great. No one went into the game against Germany thinking we were going to win 1-0, and we did. So we've seen miracles by the Mexican team. We've seen them complete unimaginable things with La Camisa Verde, that green jersey. So things can happen. They may be great. However, being realistic, I think if they win against Poland, they'll come out second, round of 16, face France, and then have a respectful journey there. However, if they do lose against France and come out of that group stage, no one will complain. I think losing against France is respectable. Miracles can happen, but I think at the moment, given the group that we were dealt, coming out in second would be the best bet. Now, obviously, you know, let's not be so sure about France either. And this is speaking to both of you guys, because obviously the champions curse is kind of real. And we've seen that in the last few World Cups. And not to mention, this is a France side that kind of been, um, I'd say, up and down recently. So maybe that's not the case for Mexico if they do indeed qualify to the next round. But just looking at some of the players now, as we mentioned, this Mexican side, obviously the familiar names are always going to be there. The likes of Memo Ochoa. Um, the goalkeeper, uh, Andres Guadalajara, the longtime midfielder, and, and some other names that kind of have come up over the last four years, like a Raul, Raul Jimenez from Wolverhampton, uh, Chucky Lozano, Irving Lozano, that's playing at Napoli, and, and other names that have started to come up as well over the last few years, like uh, like a Diego Lainez, uh, Alexis Vega, um, Henry Martin, Rogelio Fornes Mori, among many others. This is a side that is not going to have Tecatito Corona due to injury, but... I just wanted to speak firstly, uh, Lizzie, about two names that obviously here in the States we are very much familiar of, not just because of how they're playing in MLS, but of course their longtime um, stints on the national team is Chicharito Hernandez and Carlos Vela. They are not on this world, on this uh, recent squad for these next friendlies against Peru and Colombia later uh, this month, but there has been some debate recently of given how they're forming MLS that maybe indeed they could make the squad. There's still rumors. So I just want your thoughts and thinking, you know, is this the case? Do we see one of them go in? Do we see both or do we see neither of them making this World Cup squad uh, at the end of the year? I'm going to go with neither. And I'm kind of rooting for that option with Carlos Vela in particular he truly said it best. Um, when asked in an interview, he said, I don't believe I deserve to be a part of it anymore. I have given what I needed to give, but I was no longer part of the qualifiers. So I'm going to let those who did their best to get to this tournament and continue on this journey. I have given what I needed to. And I respect and understand that stance. I think it's given respect to those who have done absolutely everything and left all on the field trying to get to Qatar and for him to come in in the last minute I think it would be a little problematic especially coming from Tata Martino would be not to respect the players that you've trusted for so long to get to this point having them just walk on the roster with two months out it just wouldn't be right um that's I think, from Carlos Vela's point of view. Now, from Chicharito, there's obviously been so many dialogues, whether it's Tata, whether it's him, whether it was problematic behavior. Um, we all know the incident during the Gold Cup situation where things went out of hand in Morrison, um, New Jersey, I believe. And he was disciplined by the coach and asked not to return. 
we can go back and forth on the rumors of what's going on behind the scenes, but I think it's time now for the Mexican national team to move on from their greatest goal scorer. He was great. He was amazing. He's still respected. His stats are up there and aren't ignored, but it's time to move on now to the new generation. You have Asante Jimenez, who's doing great with Feyenoord. He departed Liga MX Cruz Azul as the, at that time, the high school scorer of the league, went to Feyenoord, adapting beautifully, just scored again um, today in the Europa League, and he's doing perfect. Give him a chance. You have Tuki. You have so many players now on the attack who are doing good in their own leagues and gaining rhythm and have been a part of that qualifying cycle and been a part of this team. Why wouldn't Chicharito now come in as I deserve to be here because of my history? Certainly. Again, amazing history. We're so thankful. But let's look now to the new generation and start building from there. Certainly, you would say that, of course, given the fact that, yeah, they do have to indeed move on. And you look at these new names, like you had mentioned, like Asante Jimenez, you know, like a Chucky Lozano and many others. You know, I wanted to lean towards that because, you know, if it's not going to be from the leading goal scorers in Chicharito Hernandez, where do you think these goals are going to come from? And also just more of a general question, you know, obviously you covering the Gatmeckis and, of course, this national team. Is there a name that, you know, obviously the World Cup is so famous for making, uh, you know, <laughs> names into household, well, these players into household names. Who's a player that you think on this Mexico side has the potential to indeed be, you know, I'm not saying maybe a star, but definitely can definitely break through and, and get into a European side in the next few years? That's an interesting question. I think there's a lot of talent in several positions, but I wouldn't just necessarily go for Santi Jimenez or Alexis Vega. I also would like to look at Edson Alvarez in the midfield. He's doing wonderful things with Ajax. It was obviously highly heard that Chelsea wanted him. Um, he's now scoring in the Champions League. He's a figure to watch. I think he can do it all. He can defend and he can attack. So personally, I would love to see him thrive. You have a set piece and he'll come up and head the ball in. Amazing goal there. And you only need a 1-0 to win a game. But he personally is a figure I would like to see thrive. Alexis Vera, too. I think he he might surprise people. I think it's been long due for his trip over to Europe because of the market. Um, transfer things. Chivas de Guadalajara has complicated a few situations. But I think he's on the verge now of being a great player. Mexico has talent. The team is united, and they have the possibility to do great things. But I think, I don't know, maybe they get into the world stage and just like Memo Choa, turn everything on that they need to and shine. They're certainly capable of doing that, you know, and we've seen it many, many years over and over again. Um, Lizzie, I want to jump in and uh, and get to the prediction part of the uh, the interview uh, so, you know, looking at the group, like we said, Group C, Argentina is going to be a challenge. That opening match against uh, against Poland is going to be very, very key for them. What are your thoughts on uh, how Mexico do in this World Cup? And do they make it into the knockout stages? And how, how far do they go, in your opinion? Ooh, I always hate these questions because mm -hmm. I don't know whether to go heart or complete logic here. Do both. But... 
I'm going to go with they do make it out of the group stage. They beat Poland 1-0. They lose to Argentina, beat Saudi Arabia, then face France and respectfully bow out there. And with that, claps all around for me. So, all right. So with that in mind, let's say they do make the run. They, they upset France. They make it all the way and win this World Cup. What would winning the World Cup for Mexico mean to you know, Mexican fans and to you personally? What would that mean to you? Wow. I think, honestly, it's unimaginable. The Mexican stands, I think, because of so much time and because of where we've been in the World Cup has hardened and been very critical of the team. I think, personally, as a nation, we deserve it. I have never come across more passionate fans. And it's been said, it's been studied. There's numerical evidence that proves um, the impact that the Mexican national team fans have in every single World Cup. They all show up. They're all united, dressed together. I can't even imagine the chaos that would ensure in each and every stadium or each and every street in Qatar should the Mexican national team win. Personally, I'm reserving that hope for 2026 um, to see Mexico win and then the final, wherever that may be, in the United States. But it would just truly be unimaginable. I think figures like Memo Ochoa deserve a, deserve a win with a national team dedicated so much of his career to that. Um, would be his fifth World Cup now. I just can't even put it into words. I've never yeah. thought about it. <laughs> yeah, it, it it certainly catches up to you. So, but it would be an amazing accomplishment, uh, to say the least. Uh, you know, and even though it would be an amazing accomplishment, it is something that I don't want to say is expected, but you wouldn't count Mexico out of it because when the World Cup comes around, this is a team that always in a country in a nation that always seems to, like you said, show up for it. And and I don't see any any difference here. And I think that I think that they will end up showing up for this tournament. And you never know. I mean, we may be calling it a surprise right now, but this team might become stronger as as we get closer to the tournament. And uh, it might not be such a surprise. So, Lizzie, thank you so much for joining us uh, to help us break down Mexico and the national team in Group C. Um, All the best to you. And we look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you so much for having me. And special thanks again to Lizzie Beccarano for joining us on the show. Last but not least, we were joined by our good friend Matt Santangelo from State of Play podcast to preview Poland as they head to face Mexico in that opening match of the 2022 World Cup. So without further ado, the Matt Santangelo interview. And joining us now on This Week in Football to preview Poland as they enter Group C of the 2022 World Cup, we have Matt Santangelo from the State of Play podcast and Football Italia who's joining us. Matt, welcome back to the show. It's always a pleasure to have you on, my man. Um, And I know we asked this question four years ago, but I want to ask it again for those that are new to the show and new to this uh, format of the previews. What are your ties to the Polish national team since we know you as a Milanista, as a as a, co- a guy that covers the Serie A? How about Poland, man? Well, first off, uh, it's always a pleasure to be on with you guys. Can't, be, can't believe it's been four years since the last time we chatted about Poland. But, um, yeah, as, as far as, I guess, where my Polish heritage comes from, um, you could look at my surname and you think, you know, it's Italian. And, and you know, it is, right? I'm Sicilian. But uh, actually, on my mother's side is where all my Polish uh, comes from. And I'm predominantly Polish. So 
Um, you, know, you as you mentioned, Joe. You know, despite my my allegiance being to Milan and my coverage of of Serie A being quite extensive, I always try and see what's happening in the in the world of Polish football. And certainly, obviously, in terms of Polish football as a whole, you know, this is always a team that has kind of always been kind of one of those teams that I'd say are always kind of competitive you know, from a European perspective. But let's go into what happened to them four years ago. Obviously, this is a Polish side that you know, consistently have made it to World Cup. This will be their 10th World Cup that they'll be playing in their history. Their best performances was back in the 70s and 74 and in 82, where they finished third, respectively. And now heading into 2022, what we saw four years ago as well, and I can remember this chat as well, this was a Polish side that had a lot of expectation and was indeed actually in the um, the top seed in their group with Colombia, Japan, and Senegal but they fell flat on their face, finishing last with only one win and two losses to their name. Fast forward to the Euros, where they also had high hopes in competing and, and doing well in the competition, also flying, falling flat on their face um, in the group stages. So, Matt, I just want your thoughts on just really how have you assessed this Polish side over the last four years playing in the World Cup, the Euros, the Friendly, the Nations League, all of that, and just how they got here and, and kind of the mood, really, for this Polish side uh, before this before the start of the World Cup. You know, I think it's interesting, right, because I think, like, you know, if you, if you flash back to, uh, what is it, 2016 Euro, right, um, where... They made a pretty. They made a pretty decent run, right? Though they they were drawn in the same group with Germany. I think they drew that game um, in the group. They made it to the quarterfinals. They took it to penalties against Portugal, and they really got there on the backbone of their defense. Of course, everyone's going to look to Lewandowski. Everyone's going to look to see what he's able to provide, being the fact that he is the most capped player in, in international history and has the most goals. And he's this sort of uh, storied player, right? And he's one of the best we've seen in recent years at his position. So I think that people looked to that moment and thought that this was going to be the beginning of something new, something fresh. Um, there was a lot of young players coming through the pipeline, a lot of good young goalkeepers. Of course, um, we're starting to see now with Slonina, uh, Slonina excuse me, going to Chelsea. Um, we still see Wojciechowski. We still see um, Skorupski and, uh, you know, and, and Dragovski. So guys that have the capability to be in the goalkeeper position. And I think the expectation was top to bottom that there was a lot of young players that were going to come along and maybe by around the last Euro and now World Cup, they'd be ready. They're a little bit more established, a little bit more seasoned. And I think that's kind of the expectation coming into to this World Cup, right? I think you mentioned, Roberto, the World Cup and, 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 you know, previously was uh, had high hopes. You know, they were top. They, they had a lot of quality, but they came up against a good Senegal side, a, a, a good, you know, Colombia side, the team that's been there may has made deep runs before. So I think it was one of those instances where, you know, Poland is still still trying to see what they have in terms of their players. A lot of young players that have some talent, but I've noticed a trend in recent years where a lot of these players haven't quite filled out to their potential. And what I mean by that is, you know, you look at guys that are playing in the Premier League consistently, Bielik, um, you know, Jan Bednarik, just to name a few, players that are that are established as far as what the Premier League is concerned, but can they make that next climb internationally? It's a different animal, right? There's some players that you know, do well at the club level, and then there's players that are just fit for the international stage. I know Lucas Podolski and Miroslav Klosa, you know, those two, they're not, not Klosa. I mean, he was great for, for Bayern Munich too, but Lucas Podolski is just a player that, you know, never was able to quite do it, you know, when it came for, for him at the club level. When it came to Germany, 
he was always ready, always firing. So I think what the hope is for, for Poland heading into this World Cup is that guys like Piotr Zielinski, um, Nikola Zolowski, you know, some of these younger players that we're starting to see um, regularly in Serie A and abroad really take that next leap and be able to compete at a higher level. Now, Matt, I want to jump in because I want to look at this group uh, that they're in, Group C. Um, and I want to kind of look back a little bit going from the uh, how they got their portion of this to mm-hmm. the group stage um, because they're, they're – path to this world cup was um clouded i would say uh you know they they were they were going to face russia but given the uh, the war in ukraine and and their expulsion from qualifying or from this world cup uh they, they had the path right to sweden which they obviously dispatched of um 2-0 qualifying for here but then you go and so you wonder about their competitive matches leading into this world cup because they don't get that extra match but now they move into a group that uh has it has a, a other opponents in it that is they're really familiar with. I mean, they have faced uh, Mexico eight times. They have faced uh, I, I want to say Argentina eleven times. They've uh, they've even faced Saudi Arabia four times. You know, including as recent as two thousand six. Uh, so there is familiarity for this Polish national team side. Looking with that, especially with their with how they got to this point, what do you think of of their preparations for Group C, and how do you think this group pans out for them? I think this is a very tricky group. And I think, you know, look, you know, you look at certain competitions, you look at, you know, we all talk about how the groups and the draws shape out in the Champions League and the Europa League, some more favorable than others, the group of deaths. I think when it comes to the World Cup and the timing of everything, given the fact that it's in the middle of the season, given the fact that a lot of these players are already having to play a bunch of games for their for their respective club club side and then having to quickly pivot to an international stage in a, a unfamiliar territory for a year and then have to kind of put their mind back back to the club level, I think it's very hard to project where Poland are going to be. Now, you, know, you mentioned it, right? Their, their road to the World Cup uh, was a little bit clouded. It wasn't as smooth as maybe the previous one where, you know, as, as you mentioned, they were, they were a top seed. But I think if you look at their overall shape of of the fixtures that they're going to have in their group i think the key game without question is going to be the one to start against mexico i think if you can get off on a good foot there then you know you maybe you play it a little bit differently differently against an argentina where maybe you try and be a little bit more um structured take less risks hold on to the ball and see if you could see out a draw and now all of a sudden you're in a pretty good spot to advance to the round of 16 but i think again the way Poland has approached some of these some of these World Cup fixtures, it's really hard to project what type of Poland you're going to get. I think, you know, Lewandowski, you know he's going to show up, but can he get the service in? Can he get the supporting cast? I think it's always really come down to what the others around Lewandowski can provide him, right? Because I think he's the type of player that can score the goals. He can carry a team. We've seen it throughout World Cup qualifying. We've seen it throughout Euro qualifying for years and years and years. But can Zelensky step up? Can the defense step up? Can that midfield with Krakowiak and and you know, Moder and and some of these other young players can they rise to the occasion? They can they give Lewandowski that sort of support that he truly needs that Poland needs to make some sort of decent push here. And I think Mexico already present them a difficult task to start a team that's been in the competition that are reg- that are a regular fixture and they know what it takes to um, you stymie some good teams. So I think it's going to be very interesting um, for Poland coming into this tournament. And you know when you look at the the just the, the in the build up to to the the, the first couple games, guys. I mean, even today, you know, at the time of recording here, they lost 2-0 to Netherlands. That team, that Netherlands is a good team. That's a, that's a good measuring stick of where they stack up 
amongst some of the better better sides in in world football. And you know, two zero, it's it's not a good look. So I, I guess it remains to be seen what type of Poland we're going to get here. Um, you know, come World Cup time. Now, obviously, you look at the players that we have to speak about, and certainly all eyes are going to be on Robert Lewandowski, the captain and the, the all-time goal scorer, and certainly one of the best of his generation and mm-hmm. one of the greatest strikers ever. But I want to look into how this team as a whole looks, and certainly this is definitely your wheelhouse, not only from your heritage perspective, but obviously the league you covered, because this is a team with a ton of experience playing in Italy. you got a lot of them playing it, from the goalkeepers, the defenders, the midfielders, and, of course, the forwards. So just looking at that as a whole, I mean, how do you see that as kind of development and how it works for this Polish national team? Of course, this is a team that is playing across all the top five leagues in Europe as well. But in terms of that, and also, obviously, the service, like you said, with Lewandowski is definitely needed. So where do you think, and you assessing the side, which players do indeed have to step up more often than not to help Lewandowski to get that service and for him to obviously flourish in the way that he always does at club level. I think Zelinski, without question, right? I think Napoli have gotten a lot of uh, praise and attention and plaudits for what they've accomplished so far um, with their results in Serie A, what they were able to do in the Champions League, you know, really making light work of Liverpool. Um, and Zelinski's been a player. He's been at the, at the heart of what Napoli's been doing. He's scoring goals. He's creating goals, providing chances for those around him. And he's at that ripe age of 27, 28, where, you know, I thought maybe the last competition, you know, Euro and, and the World Cup, that that would be his sort of moment. But I think he's rounding into the right form and rounding into the right part of his career, where now he's kind of an, a veteran now. Previous years, he was more that young player, a little bit still raw, still trying to work on things. But I think without question, Zelinski is going to be a key player. I think he has to step up. I do think that Kurtkoviak and, and Linetti and some of those players in the midfield can do a job. Um, I do have my questions about whether or not they have enough creativity around Lewandowski. I know Milik can do some things if he's playing as a secondary striker off him. They tend to work quite well with one another. Um, but I, again, I, I, I do want to stress that there, you know, there is some concern out in the wide areas that where is he going to get the support? Is Lewandowski ultimately going to get the support? You know, you look at what some of these other nations are putting around their main guy. We've seen for years what they have with Cristiano Ronaldo. We've seen how much you know, supporting uh, attacking support that Messi has. At the end of the day, this is where the game is right now. I think if Poland are they're not equipped to play a defensive game like this. This is not going to be a Catanacho 2006 Italy type Poland team. They're going to have to create chances. They're going to have to score goals. They can't just sit back, absorb, and hope to hit teams on the counter. So with all that being said, I think, you know, look, you, you, you need your guy, main guys to produce. Absolutely. But some of these players like Le- Zalewski from Roma, um, who, who looks like he's a, he's a fine player, can play as a wing back, he can get forward, a lot of energy, a good work rate, very young. Um, Zukovsky in the midfield, if he does get the call up, there's a lot of players that, you know, with these UEFA Nations uh, League's game, guys, that they're getting some some burn to see what type of, um, you know, uh, I guess support they can provide the national team going forward. So there's there's players that I think that are set in stone to make this roster and to, to, to make the trip to Qatar. But I also think there's a lot of fringe players that we have to see if they're just still maybe one competition, just a couple of years too young to make this sort of leap. Or maybe, you know, there, there is enough in the tank, there is enough assessment of their game where they can provide something of, of value um, you know, at a higher level. 
you know, Matt, before we get into our last segment, I, I do want to make a quick statement because I think it's fitting here. Um, with all the players that play in the Serie A from the Polish national team, none of them play on AC Milan. So I think it's on you to call Paolo Maldini and say, hey, you know, you, you got to do something here, man. We got to get somebody. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe it, it used to be Piontek. It used to be Piontek. True. Um, they just signed another young, promising Polish Polish international, but they're very young. So, uh, you know, it's hard to really say what type of a uh, type of player they're going to be. But yeah, no, I, I ideally I'd like to see some Polish representation with Milan because I think it would uh, it'd be very good for uh, for the Polish national team. Of course, for me to to buy that jersey, <laughs> absolutely, of course. Um, let's get into the prediction segment here um, because we want to take a look at this group as a whole. Obviously, Argentina certainly one of the big. Favorites to win this World Cup, the South American champions, if you will. Uh, Mexico, you know, they talk about death taxes in Mexico into the round of 16 um, in the World Cup. It's, it's, it's almost like it always happens. So they're going to be, even though this is a, what many would say would be a down year for them, would uh, they're, they're going to be dangerous. Um, Saudi Arabia, you know, I, I know we, when we talk about them, you know, we're not going to take them, I guess, as heavily as we would in Argentina, and rightfully so. But, um, I think the, the the big competition here for Poland right now is Mexico, and I think this is a massive opportunity for Poland to supplant Mexico because um, of them not being quite the Mexico we expect them to be at the World Cup. What are your thoughts on how this group breaks down? Um, what are your predictions for this group? And obviously, what's a good finish for Poland moving into this World Cup? I think that the minimum, given the fact that you have a player, like a generational player like Lewandowski, given the fact that um, you know, you, we've had so much success with them, you know, throughout competition, qualifying, all those sorts of things. At the end of the day, I think this is a, a, this is that competition for Lewandowski's legacy. I'm not saying it's going to rest completely on this, but I think he look, he had, doesn't he hasn't scored a World Cup goal. You know, you're, the Euro, in European competition, he doesn't quite have the, the bag of the bags of goals you know, that you would expect from a player of his caliber that maybe some of his you know counterparts do. I, I think that. He needs to make a. They, they need to make a push at the very least into the round of 16. It's not going to be easy. You mentioned we all talked about how fact how the fact that Mexico is so battle tested. You know, historically they just seem to find a ways to navigate to the round of 16, and they're just a tough team to unseat and to get um, out of this competition. And of course, Argentina, you you would assume are shoe into advance, right? But you know. I think, again, it just really is going to come down to that first game because I think it's pretty obvious who, who, the, who the cream of the crop is of this group, that being Argentina. I think there is something to play for in that second spot, and I think you mentioned it. Maybe Mexico aren't quite where they were in previous competitions. Um, with all that being said, you have to respect that they have heritage and they do have pedigree when it comes to this competition. So I do think there's a possibility that they do advance out of this group. I really do think it's possible. Now, what would this, what would a World Cup win mean for Poland, and what would it mean to you personally? Obviously, you know, obviously, you know, from the United States, uh, Italian heritage on one side of your family, Polish heritage on the other. What would this World Cup min, win mean for you if Poland could pull it off? I think it mean a great deal. You know, I think again, everyone's you know probably going to look at me and associate me with being a huge Milan fan and just you know, strictly following the Italian game. And and I do. I, I I'm proud of, of of my background. I'm proud of the the nations I do support, of course, as well as USA, which I'm sure you're going to have a great guest on to talk about them. But you know, I think from from a Polish standpoint, you know, we want to see a, a Polish national performance where we could be proud of one that we can hang our head on and say, you know, there's a, there's a promising bright future ahead. And I think look. We also know how how uh, how much pride and how much passion and how much 
you know, these, these, these nations have for their players. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, just a, a, a Poland performance that we can be proud of, that we can look for, forward to, for the future, I think is, is, is where I'm looking at with this, um, with this World Cup. Fantastic stuff. Matt, thank you for coming on the show and helping us break down Poland and Group C as they make the journey to Qatar for the 2022 World Cup. All the best to you. Good luck to Poland in this tournament. And uh, we look forward to see, having you on again soon, my friend. Thank you, guys. Always appreciate it. And special thanks again to Matt Santangelo for joining us on the show to preview Poland for the World Cup. Mr. Rojas, it is prediction time. This is Group C, and I would like you to go first and tell me what you think. Oh, wow. The pressure's on me. Um, I think I'm going to keep the tradition and going from fourth to first, as I've always done. Mm -hmm. So having said that, I think this group really kind of is a bit straightforward when you look at it from maybe a neutral perspective. And even after hearing all these forecasts, I think you could probably analyze it tenfold in a way. Um, having said that, I think Saudi Arabia, despite the fact that I'm playing into this kind of region for the first time, and I'm sure it's a big occasion for, for a lot of these players playing in a, in a World Cup in the Middle East, I just don't think they have the, the talent enough to compete with the other three teams like Mexico, Poland, and Argentina. So for that, I see them finishing in fourth. In third, and this is the big one, because I think, you know, you could make an obvious choice for first, and, you know, I'll give that in a second, but I think this is the game, and then the first game between Mexico and Poland will, in my opinion, decide who goes to the knockout stage. And ultimately, you know, it, it could go either way. You know, it, I, wouldn't, it, I wouldn't be wrong, but I also wouldn't be right if, if this could indeed be one of the few sides that qualify to the next round. But ultimately, I just, for some reason, this Polish side, as good as they are, as talented as they, as they are, and how good... They can be, I just think that when the big occasion has occurred, I don't think what happened at the last World Cup and at the Euros was a coincidence. I just, I don't think that, unfortunately, they have what it takes to to rise to the big occasion, which is unfortunate because you know the likes of Landowski wanting to, to cement himself as, a, as an all-time player to do well at this World Cup. I just don't see that happening. So I see them finishing in third, which means, that means that with Mexico... I see them finishing in second, despite all the crises, despite everything that's been going on there. Many people are saying this is probably the worst Mexico side of the modern era. Um, I just, I for some reason, I feel as if though they have what it takes that when when the going gets tough, the cup tough get going, and when the lights go on in the World Cup, they switch it on and they're able to be right on form, just like they did in so many different World Cups. I see them finishing in second, which means Argentina. One of the favorites to win this World Cup. I personally will even go and say that they might go unbeaten in this in this group stage, winning all three games, convincingly winning this group without any stretch of of, uh, of issues. So with that, Argentina in first, Mexico in second, Poland in third, and Saudi Arabia in fourth. You've left a lot of meat on the bone for me, my friend. So let's let's start with the with the easy one. I agree with you on Saudi Arabia, uh, fourth place for them. It is a momentous occasion, the first uh, World Cup being played in the Middle East, and um, something that where where some of the fans uh, and and some of the journalists and the you know will be staying in Saudi Arabia and, co- and crossing back and forth to this particular World Cup. I I do think that it you know the the quality of the teams around them are just going to be a little too much to bear. So I agree with you, Saudi Arabia fourth. This is where we will finally disagree. Um, this Mexican side for me. Uh, 
all the way through qualifying for CONCACAF, even though they finished second, uh, were, were, were a little underwhelming. Uh, Tata, Mati- Tata Martino was in in danger of losing his job multiple times. He uh, He's released his preliminary squad, and, and players like Tecatito Corona are on this side. They're chosen, but Corona broke his leg, and, and their doubts that he could even be you know, running around when the World Cup comes around. I think uh, I think Tata might might be at his point where he's just basically lost the plot a little bit leading into this World Cup. I think the team shows it, and I think there's, you know, you've seen it in, in many many club sides where teams stop playing for their manager. I really feel like that's something that's happening here, and I know that this is a World Cup, and and teams usually rise to the occasion, and players rise to the occasion. I feel like this is going to be too much. So for me, I'm going to go Mexico in third place. Poland, I do agree with you. This is a team that is extremely talented and extremely underwhelming when the pressure is on. I, I do think, though, that this, not that necessarily this time, that they're going to rise to the occasion. I almost feel like this is a situation where Mexico will fall to the occasion and Poland will be the, the beneficiaries of that fall. So because of that, I'm going to go with Poland uh, second out of this group and advancing to the knockout stages. And then I agree with you, Argentina will... Um, you know, we'll take this group at the top. Um, you said you think they might be able to win all three. I'm going to predict, predict that they will win all three. I, my brave prediction would be that they actually don't concede a goal in this group. Uh, I think that they are talented enough to do that. I'm going to go out on that limb. Um, I do think they do win all three matches, um, but I do think that they could actually go through without conceding. Um, you know, and there might be a one nil. There might be a, a jittery one nil against Poland or something like that. But I do think that they will. Uh, they will definitely dominate this group. I think they're going to be one of the favorites to win this World Cup. I know you and I are going to make our our final predictions for champion as we get closer to the tournament. But uh, I think for this particular group, I'm going to go with Saudi Arabia fourth, Mexico third, Poland second, and a unbeaten Argentina side first in this group. So. Uh, special thanks to all our guests for joining us, Santi Bauza, Wael Jabir, Mizzy Beccarano, and Matt Santangelo for helping break down Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, and Poland. And for my co-host, Mr. Roberto Rojas, I am Joe Ucello. Thanks for listening, and good night. <laughs>